0: Welcome to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Your host, Jesse Jameson, has a real treat for you. You are about to hear a great story. And if Jesse brings his A-game, some good commentary too. And later on, we'll let you know how you can join Jesse as a guest. Now, without further ado, here's Jesse.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Jesse Jameson and Friends. I'm so excited about today's show. Today's friend is Tom from London. Tom, you have an interesting title for your show. It's called no longer a whiskey dick. Oh my God. That's like a a horror situation for young people to even think about that word, but I don't know exactly where your story's going yet, but I do want to thank you for coming on. Tom, the floor is yours. Where does your story begin?
2: Well, first of all, Jesse, thank you very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And it's a pleasure to join you. Uh, I guess my story would begin whenever I first started drinking to excess, which would have been at university, which was at the start, really, really good fun and pretty harmless fun. I didn't really get hangovers. It didn't feel like it was so much of a problem. And uh, of course, you know, no longer a whiskey dick is referring to um, the part we'll get to eventually in this story, which was me conquering these, um, addictions but you know to cast my mind's eye back to where this all started it would have just been boozing with friends which you know here in britain that is as it is in america but particularly here we have a great boozy culture we love going to the pub we love drinking pints of beer and pre-drinking and you know my friendships at uni which i've still got and i love my friends from uni my girlfriend i met at uni um everything at among my friend group at least at uni centered around boozing Um, And to be honest, they were the fondest years of my life. I wouldn't trade them for anything, Uh, but it really would be, you know, getting drunk all the time.
1: Tom, when I was uh, at that age too of, you know, 21, 22 and stuff, I just really enjoyed the freedom of finally being able to go into a club or a bar or even to the store just to buy a beer or what have you. But take me back a little further. I've seen pictures of you with, it looks like your brother and your pop. Um, on some of your YouTube videos. And uh, yeah. and it looks like you have just a, a really happy childhood. So I'm envisioning a happy kid that through prep school and stuff, before you even got to the university, did you, did you not really need alcohol? Or did you occasionally go out on a weekend and drink a couple beers? What was your experience before you went off to college?
2: Uh, I mean, there was some boozing occasionally. Uh, you know, at school, I, I enjoyed in my family life I never really drank pretty happy family life pretty lucky on that front um you know both parents still together and a a younger brother two years younger than me so you know I'm very lucky on that front but at school it you know it's fun to break the rules and and drink Uh, and I went to boarding school so I wasn't really meant to do that and I did but it wasn't You know, it was more of a rule breaking thing and a camaraderie thing. And you can't really get away with getting that plastered. You know, it's not like I blacked out and got into into the kind of trouble that I would get into later on at school. But maybe the maybe the seeds were sowing at school because, I, you know, I was not exactly the best behaved person at school.
1: We all want to party and be cool and popular. When we're in school, yeah. it, sound, it sounds like you were just that. Now, for our listeners at home, yeah, Tom true. Tom has a wonderful angelic voice, and he really loves music. Tom, did your love for music start as an early kid, and were you already experimenting with um, you know singing and and getting together with people for music uh, reasons back in high school?
2: Ah, uh, yeah. I I grew up uh, obsessed with the Beatles, watching the Beatles anthology. Um, documentary series which is really really good It's six parts to it and the Beatles tell their own story and around the same age that I was watching cartoons I used to watch this documentary again and again I watched it again last year I love it it's like the most soothing thing to watch for me because the Beatles I don't know they represent they're like coming home to me as they offer so many other people that's why people love them um, and their, their sense of melody um, their wit their personalities, everything about them, I just thought was so cool. Sadly at school, <laughs> no one else was really into the Beatles um, because, you know, a lot on my podcast, I interview a lot of people like, you know, I've interviewed Earth, Wind and & Fire and Toto and, and people from the 70s, they always say like, oh, I grew up on the Beatles, but you know, we're a different generation and it's like, people were listening to the charts, people were listening maybe to Oasis was the closest thing but they they were more interested in like rap and dance music so i was always a bit strange for for my beatles obsession but uh, you know it didn't cause me any any great problems and i had a couple of things uh, a couple of bands as well in school like uh, but, but i never really took them that seriously
1: so tom john lennon has a favorite uh, famous song that's a favorite of mine and one of the lines in his song says Imagine all the booze <laughs> <laughs> at the university. I uh, I enjoy a beer every now and then because I don't have a drinking issue. And in high school, I'm imagining with straight laced parents, and you're just enjoying, you know, drinking with friends. I'd imagine you didn't really think you had much of a problem either. So take us now. You go to university. A weekend party? Does it end up becoming like a, a three days a week, and does that end up becoming every single day? Give us an idea of why did you start drinking on non-party days? Because I'd imagine you were starting to drink a lot.
2: Yeah, well, so so yeah, it's it's quite a weird. I guess the thing is, I've always been a slightly unusual character in the sense of at school, for example, I would drink. As much as i could and i got suspended for smoking but then i also became house captain and like sucked up a lot to my house master so i was a kind of cross between someone rebellious and someone trying to be responsible and do good and i think that kind of sums up uh, in general my personality even still to this day at uni i was having a great time because i met my girlfriend in first year we've been together for 10 years now and um, so i had a, a very kind of stable relationship so initially it was just like well we're all just having fun here Um, my girlfriend's never been much of a drinker interestingly so but you know our friends were, were, were into drinking and but i was always a bit of a clown you know kind of showing off um with by you know by stupid stuff sometimes like even just being rude to people at parties or um doing outrageous things or just drinking more than everybody else and it started then but you know, everybody had those outrageous stories, those crazy, like, drunken stories. Were you you that,
1: Tom, were you the type that when you were sober, you weren't so brave and outrageous? Did, did, was there a liquid courage aspect to drinking? Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm not that outrageous when I'm so, I'm not an outrageous person, you know, I like to dress flamboyantly, and, you know, I guess I've taken some risks career-wise, but in general, I'm a pretty just, you know, I'm not, like, a hyperactive, like, I really actually dislike kind of hyperactive um, people who are just too much. Um, So, yeah, and I don't like kind of, you know, I don't mind the odd prank or whatever, but I'm not like one of those people who's always got to be like playing a prank or always playing the fool. But um, I guess drinking, you know, it just felt like a good way of fitting in and felt like fun. Genuinely just felt like fun. You know, I still kind of, I haven't had a drink for three years, but I can I can just picture in my mind how much fun it would be to go to, have a, to the pub and have a few pints. I think so the main that, problem is it escalated.
1: That's what I was just going to say. So are you the type that if you do have, you know, a pint or two, it will become five or six and, and maybe a, a one day drinking thing will become a whole week drinking thing? Or are you are you secure in your own knowledge of your issues that is that what it kind of equates to?
2: yeah yeah i mean after uni basically um when we started making a bit of money with the clothing brand um and and as uni progressed and people started moving to london to start their jobs and you know i loved socializing so it it turned into this kind of deal where it would be like every time we meet someone or meet up with a group of friends a different group of friends we'd have this really fun really crazy night you know that was so much fun and then the next day we'd meet up with different people. So no one kind of thought I had a problem. They just thought I loved a good night out. But the, the thing is, is that it was like every single time we met up with people. So, you know, it's just like, and they might have only seen me once a month or so. So they, you know, they who were they to know that it was literally every time I saw everybody that I was trying to escalate things into some wild night out, staying out till five. And, you know, then, and as this grew more and more, it would start like, there'd be things like we'd make some clothing sales. Um, and I, and because this was a startup business that I wasn't expecting um, to necessarily work, you know, I might just decide, right, I'm going to go to the pub for breakfast and just stay there from 9 a.m. all the way till, you know, dinner. Then have you have you, have you have you done that before? Yeah, quite a few times in London, I would do that when we moved. To, this was after uni. Uni was in Bristol, then we moved to London and that's where things started really escalating. Um yeah there'd be things like that. I mean there's t- there are hundreds of examples. That's why I'm I'm writing this book called Whiskey Dick about my drinking experiences and my post drinking experiences next year because there aren't that many entertaining books about giving up alcohol. Um so it'll be it'll be like a non advice guide but it'll just be a funny a funny guide to giving up drinking but there are th- the hundreds of incidents everything passing out fully clothed head first you know on my doorstep to um you know, I can't, I can't even.
1: It's eaten your, it's, greens, e- it's it's I, eaten your memories. So let me ask you this, yeah. Tom. Um, was there any point, I assume after university, was there a point where you maybe woke up and had a moment of clarity and said, oh my God, I'm really becoming an alcoholic or were you still in yeah. denial?
2: There were a couple of times, but there was one one time before Christmas, two years before I gave up where I'd had sort of, 20 you know 20 cans of Stella in one afternoon and it was like the fifth day in a row of getting absolutely blackout. um and then I came back home for Christmas and I sort of made a resolution to never drink again but then you know by New Year's Eve I was already plastered in a karaoke bar <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't a very uh, a long sobriety
1: But you do like some good karaoke, it sounds like.
2: Yeah, I loved karaoke. I got addicted to karaoke to the point where I had to go to karaoke and get drunk, really, really drunk at karaoke every single night. And we went traveling around the US to 22 different states. This was before the 48 state tour um, with some friends. And, um, you know, I would get pretty, you know, like angry, offended when they didn't want to do karaoke. Say we'd been to karaoke three nights in a row. And we were in a new city. They wanted to explore, you know, maybe go to a different type of bar, different type of entertainment venue. I'd be, you know, really quite pissed off about it. I'd insist on karaoke. Tom's like,
1: Tom's like, no, we're doing karaoke and you're singing, Joey. Uh, so <laughs> let me ask you this. When you started doing karaoke, would you start to get a lot of compliments? Would people be saying, Tom, you're a heck of a singer? Or was it kind of oh, a blackout? No.
2: sometimes not really it wouldn't be my singing that got praised necessarily i did these funny elton john uh kind of impressions where i'd you know put on the sunglasses and sprawl all over the table uh, and uh and sort of get all the people in the karaoke bar clapping whilst i did saturday all the bitches back those are my two songs that i did every time and this lisb this karaoke bar in lisbon because i'm half portuguese so we we would go to Lisbon um, to my family's flat there quite a lot with friends because no one lives there so we'd, we would have you know lots of people every summer for these big boozy holidays and that karaoke bar you know the staff knew me and started off as a favorable friendship with the guys in there they found me funny I was the Elton guy but by the end it was like oh god this guy's back again to get drunk and ruin our business um, and actually since then since I've given up boozing um i made uh, i've made friends again with a guy from the karaoke bar I had him over for a sober dinner and had a good chat and stuff so that's been good but yeah i was really intense on the karaoke front
1: tom you said that you would literally get a little upset if people didn't want to go to karaoke for four days in a row with you if they had already been there for the first three did you also get upset when a good friend would say tom i'm, I'm not going to drink today let's just go sober was that kind of an irritation for you as well
2: it pretty much never happened, uh, but when it did, if someone was being boring, thing is I've got enough enough friends who like their drinking that we would just go off and say, "God, they're being so boring at the moment. What a loser!" And then we'd go and get drunk. You know, there was there was always someone. Um, but when we were in London, when it wasn't a holiday and it was Sunday, that was when it was really like I'd get my phone out Sunday night and be like, "God, you know, everybody else is like." recovering in time for the start of the working week. And I've called the people who I knew would want to have a big drunken night on a Sunday night. And that's, that turned into quite a common habit.
1: Me and my best friend, Chris, when I was 20, uh, 20, actually, we went to an after hours club here uh, in Arizona, where I live, Tom. And what it meant by after hours is I think at 1 or 2 a.m. the bar would shut down and then, you know, teenagers and people that were, you know, 18 but under 21 who couldn't drink would go to these after hours clubs. So to get around that, me and my friend Chris would just get wasted in the car before we walked into the club. Um, That's what a lot of people would do uh, that were underage. Mm -hmm. I came out of the club one night with basically what looked like a broken nose and two black eyes because I think I had hit on somebody's girlfriend, and apparently, and, and then I took I took uh, took it out on his fist with my face. And I don't like talking <laughs> about that too much, but it was a learning experience from me. From that day forward, I decided I was going to drink to get a buzz at a club, but I wasn't going to get you know so shit faced that I would get beat up. What I'd yeah. like to know is on your end. Did you ever have any scary situations where you got into a fight or almost got into a fight?
2: Um, well, there, yeah. There, I mean, there, there, was pretty, um, there were some pretty there are some pretty outrageous and, and kind of dangerous incidents uh, and a couple of head injuries that I had. So, like, um, I mean, I can't say that it was particularly my fault, but I was very drunk once in Lisbon and um, I was in a dive bar and I picked up someone's cigarette lighter to light my cigarette. And uh, this was at sort of 4.30 or 5 in the morning. And uh, we were in this dive bar. So there was this like quite old Portuguese guy at the bar, kind of muttering some kind of thing, seemed like he was quite angry. I took a cigarette lighter, lighted my cigarette with it, and he got the ashtray and lamped me in the head with it, um, giving me this huge gash on my head. Um, Another time... um, I went to visit a, my housemaster at boarding school and got so drunk that I fell down the stairs of a train station and cut my knees open, cut my face open, cut everything open. My knees had to be stitched together with by paramedics on the train um, back into London. And, uh, and my reaction to it was to uh, go straight to the pub covered in blood.
1: I wasn't expecting you to say that, but uh, that's kind of a gruesome visual that you're giving Tom. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into a little bit more about uh, how Tom's life uh, started going downhill with the drinking. So we'll be right back.
0: Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, That's 480-553-5719. Or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com.
1: When it comes to financial planning, most of us would probably rather have a root canal. Math, budgets, keeping ourselves and our loved ones secure after retirement, planning for retirement, risk, reward, and the like. How do you find the answers you need? Tune into Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina. They'll help you feel more secure in your investments and your future. Listen every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel.
3: There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear. And listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you tired of feeling disconnected and shut down? Since every choice has ripple effects, lasting happiness is a product of the choices we make each day. Tune in to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Lori Ann Rising and Uncle Mark Olmsted introduced you to authors, musicians, artists, and innovators all actively engaged in designing a world that works for everyone. Make sure you're along for the ride, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends.
1: So, Tom, you were a drunk. And you were very young at this point, which is scary because some people become drunks and they never, ever get away from it. I'm so happy to hear that you're three years sober, but you're only 30. So you got another 50, 60 years of life where you could easily pick (laughs) up the bottle again. You have an adorable girlfriend. What is her name? Her first name? She's called Debs. Debs. Okay. So you have this girlfriend, Debs. She's not a hardcore drinker like you are, um, but I assume she still drinks a little was she kind of upset at you at all? Was there fighting? Were you guys, you know, maybe break up and make up? Give me a, a scenario of how's Debs taking this part of your life?
2: Well, so bizarrely, it's literally, you know, out of anyone I know, pretty much, it's been the most stable relationship I can think of. You know, we never came close to breaking up. Um, it more came to a point that, and Debs, you know, as a result, would have a reputation as being unbelievably tolerant, sort of, I don't know why she puts up with him. You know, that if you asked anyone, that would be what they would say. Uh, but I think it got to the point where I just sort of thought this is, you know, not right for someone to have to put up with this crap anymore. That was partly one of the reasons why I gave up. And yeah, there's, uh, being only 30, it's quite daunting thinking, you know, there's quite a few decades left to get through without any booze and you know life can sometimes be a bit hard not least during this year and uh you know it's been sometimes i just imagine god it'd be nice to have a glass of red wine or you know like a whiskey after dinner or something but it's you know i don't think it's for me i don't think it's for the best uh, but luckily you know it it hasn't strained um my relationship that much um at all to be honest but i just think enough's enough like The amount of times that she had to wake me up passed out in an Uber outside her house. The amount of times that she was up in the night worrying about me, looking, you know, calling me, trying to figure out what the hell was going on. No, it's not right.
1: Tom, she's obviously very faithful and loyal. And it sounds like in addition to being, you know, your girlfriend, it sounds like she's your best friend or at least one of them. Is there any thoughts yeah, on the sure. future? Is is this the one? Do you, do you kind of envision yourself ultimately getting hitched one day or are you guys happy?
2: Oh, yeah. It? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a question of if it will be um, a question of when, you know, it's just probably going to be post pandemic. And we've just been, I've just been focusing um, and we've both been focusing on getting our kind of career path set up because we've, followed quite an unconventional path you know she's got her own agency marketing agency and i've got the clothing business podcast and music so all of these are kind of startup ventures and it's been amazing to get them off the ground um, by this age she's 29 and I'm, i'm 30 but yeah so it's those two things that have just been stopping us really
1: tom did alcohol get you randy at all? I say randy because in America we call it horny, but where you are, they call it randy, don't they? Did Amer- no, did, did, they did, did, did beer and alcohol and stuff, did it, did it ever make you where you had a wayward eye? Were you ever flirting with other girls in the pub?
2: No, no, never. Uh, that, I mean, that's why, you know, I do say it's quite remarkable that um, it was that stable, but I mean, that's never really appeal to me to be a cheater
1: or a gigolo i like it tom you're a good guy so tom let me ask you this though if you love somebody and obviously you guys probably have some sort of love life or at least i assume you guys have some time over this last 10 years your story is no longer a whiskey dick were you guys literally having were you guys having problems in the bedroom
2: because of alcohol no no i just like the title whiskey dick <laughs>
1: Okay, good. So now a bunch of people are turning off the show because they wanted to hear some good stuff. But uh, the reality is I'd imagine if you're at the club all the time and drinking, you guys probably didn't have the most intimate relationship all the time, or were you guys surprisingly uh, like bunny rabbits and always uh, on each other?
2: Oh, we, we, didn't, we didn't struggle. That never, uh, that never was a problem, uh, nor was you know, the whiskey dick thing was only for the funny title, really. I'm sure there was the odd time where I got cursed by whiskey, Dick, but it wasn't a prevalent problem. It wasn't one of the one of the, the things that I wrote on my list of pros and cons of drinking. You know, because when I gave up boozing, um, I wrote down reasons to continue drinking, reasons to give up.
1: Give us and, you know, an idea of the reasons to give up the drinking, because obviously it's not affecting your love life. You've got this girl that's obviously been with you forever right going on 10 years when you're only 30 is one third of your life that's pretty much forever right so what type of problems were you having and god you got to be having a real problem if you're pulling out pen and paper and writing down pros and cons of drinking so the pros are the popularity the fun you do enjoy a good drink for breakfast lunch and dinner what were the (laughs) what, what were
2: the cons uh, I put on 30 kilos. Um, we never were able to save any money. Um, that that in turn affected our ability to expand the clothing business. Um, I mean, that alone, I kept on getting into situations on nights out where I'd say incredibly rude things to people um, and then end up having to call or, or text and apologize. Um, I was not finding the time to kind of move forward with my ambition to make my own music Uh, I felt like I looked like an embarrassment and I couldn't fit into my trousers my I was unrecognizable with chins Um, and uh, I mean those are just a few of the reasons you
1: had a little bit of a gut going there didn't you I uh, was drinking a couple of beers every night, and, yeah, I, sure. I, and I and I was drinking because I actually wanted to gain weight. I was like 150 pounds, and I wanted to gain some weight, so I started drinking some beers. I know that sounds goofy, but that's just kind of the way my <laughs> brain thinks. And uh, in January, February, I decided because I had gotten up to 195 pounds. I'm only uh, five foot nine. And uh, at 195 pounds, I was, I was literally looking pregnant. I had a little bit of like a <laughs> round gut and I had some boobage going, some man boobs, you know. <laughs> and uh, literally in like 90 days getting off of beer, I also quit uh, sugar in general, sweets and stuff. Uh, now I'm back to like high school skinny. I'm 165 and I, and I feel great but I'm in the same boat you are, Tom. It would be really easy for me to call my friend Jen or, you know, to call my friend, uh, you know, Andy and, and potentially go out and have a beer. For a Christmas party, I told everybody I don't drink. And then we had a Christmas party at work and all of a sudden I'm downing a couple beers. Again, I feel <laughs> like I can drink because I don't really drink or don't really have an issue with it. But um, when you quit the alcohol, did the pounds come off? Because you look kind of like a skinny guy now. Are you skinny yeah, now? Yeah,
2: they came off. I lost 30 kilos in a year. Um, and, and, you know, I was able to start. Ex- I'd never exercised before. I used to be really into football when I was growing up, but I kind of gave that up when I got more into music and more into drinking. Uh, and I really, uh, other than football, I don't really like kind of sports that much. You know, I like going outdoors. Like I've been skiing the odd time, uh, but I'm not like a big, big sports person. So it's kind of, and, and I've, I've never been one of those gym people, but now I do a gym thing every morning. And but, so but, now, really- but
1: now you know this, Tom. Now you know that if you don't move around a little and you do drink the beer, you will get rather chubby. So it sounds yeah. to me like at least you learned something from that experience. So yeah, we're, about, sure. we're about the middle part of the show. Tom, give me an idea. What was the decision to go sober, and was it a weaning off of alcohol? What was your game plan to get off alcohol? Because I always find it amazing, different people's game plans. For example, my Uncle Jeff was the type that he would buy non-alcoholic beer and and kind of wean himself off of beer but still be able to taste it. Did you have any unique game plans, or was it just cold turkey one day?
2: Well, there there have been a few attempts to give up alcohol, the first was when I got thrown out of the pub for singing Elton John crocodile rock too loudly. Um, it, the footage is honestly so embarrassing. It's like what it's like, it's like someone's hallucinating or something.
1: Oh wait. Uh, so there's, there's footage of you somewhere where Yeah, my friend whilst... has it.
2: I can't watch it cause it's just too, I look so awful and like a homeless person um, who's, who's addicted to drugs, like, you know, like, literally just like someone who needs to be taken into a mental asylum or something. I looked like that.
1: Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, so to speak. Right. So you're seeing it somewhat sober. You're seeing this replay of this video and you're like, Ooh God, that's not me. But unfortunately it was you. Right. So you try, you try stopping, give us some of your failures at stopping before we get to your success.
2: So that, that was a failure, but that was when I gave up smoking. That was in 2014 uh, and I bought these non-alcoholic lagers in the end um to, to quit the smoking and I drank them and we kept up our social life more or less and uh, And I managed to give up the smoking people didn't seem to mind too much about that, you know It's not like it's that it's quite communal. Like I did make some good friends um, by having cigarettes during the day at university, but People aren't gonna be like what are you doing giving up smoking? It's more going to be an inner temptation drinking is a whole other matter there was there was a time a year later, 2015, when I um that I'd mentioned earlier when I had twenty cans of Stella in an afternoon before Christmas and it was like day five of the bender. Then I was gonna give up then. But a week later on New Year's Eve, I was back in the karaoke bar. I, I mentioned that that one. And then so so the the final time um, was, was years after that. And, you know, in, in the interim, there was all sorts of like ridiculous stuff that happened, like the karaoke addiction. Um, like when we were in, in the US, um, I'd still be so drunk for my nights out that I'd, I'd go to TV interviews about Uh, clothing brand still drunk
1: oh my god tell me did you have any fun situations in that because in the times i've been drunk you get really fuzzy and you start to answer questions weird tom tell us some funny stuff that happened in those interviews when you were drunk i assume they don't know you're drunk right or or maybe they find out but you're trying to hide it
2: it it would vary well it would yeah it would vary um a lot so they would be um one minute you know, on one occasion it would be, I'd go in and they'd kind of cotton onto the fact that I was still a bit pissed. Like there was one on KTLA in Los Angeles. And, uh and.
1: Wait, why were having, you, why were, why were you pissed? Uh
2: I think we'd just been drinking all night in LA in the hotel and we'd only had a few hours sleep and I must've smelled awful um and still been a bit drunk. <laughs> I don't and know why it smells always do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would have just had that lager breath and whiskey breath, and they they were doing the makeup, and I think they noticed I was a bit drunk there, but then they were still friendly. I think they probably thought, God, he's, he's so drunk. But then there was another time in Memphis when um, they had previously been very friendly about um, the idea, you know, my sustainable fashion brand. They'd been very friendly about that, and the email, and, you know, it was a well-worded email, hopefully, and, you know, they seemed very excited, and then when I turned up, I just looked so drunk and was like, drinking a coffee and just obviously smell. And that night I was really obliterated um, drinking whiskey in Memphis. Um, I, I, you know, I blacked out completely and we were in an Airbnb and I, I went to the wrong, wrong house. I thought it was our Airbnb.
1: <laughs> was you did not. Did you really?
2: <laughs> yeah, I was in someone's front porch, like knocking the door and they were like screaming at me to, you know, F off.
1: Oh my God, that's crazy. And they're probably like, I don't want to open the door. Who the hell is this guy? Tom, that's yeah. a, that's an interesting story there. So <laughs> Tom, tell us a little bit about your clothing line because I know more about your music than your clothing line, but it sounds like you're really excited and, and you really love your clothing line. Is it for young people? Is it for people of all ages? Who, who, what age group are you? Yeah, yeah, targeting? it's for
2: people of all ages. I mean, the, 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 the kind of cornerstones of the clothing brand um, are the 30-year sweatshirt and the 30-year T-shirt. So they're they're just plain like wardrobe staples um, that are backed with a 30-year guarantee to encourage people to, to keep their clothing for longer. So if anything happens to your sweatshirt within 30 years, we mend it for free and send it back or we replace it if it's a faulty item, obviously. But, you know, they're very well made. So the idea is that we treasure our clothing, keep it for longer. Um, and it was, you know, kind of founded um, to be sort of, like sustainable fashion but without being too because there's this whole like woke uh uh kind of some people regard a movement um a, a movement in politics and in in um you know in general life social media as this woke virtual virtue signaling type of thing um some people are happy with that i'm kind of apolitical uh but um Tom. Some Tom. people don't like being like having sustainability shoved up, down their throat all the time.
1: Tom, I'm apolitical. I uh, really? I don't vote. I don't vote, and people say, "Oh my God, what kind of American are you? You don't vote." And I say, "Well, I like to keep friends. <laughs> if you tell somebody who you vote for in the states, you lose half your friends, and the ones that you end up keeping yeah, yeah, are the ones sure. that are kind of boring anyway." Um,
2: so that's, that's so good to, to be apolitical. I think the moderates are the saving grace of society. I'm still interested. But I found myself during lockdown, I don't know about you, but I got really sucked into following politics at one stage. And I was just like n- hating the type of person that I was becoming. Because it's you, you want to be able to see both sides. That's why music is so good. It really brings people together.
1: Tom, I forgot to ask, what's your website if somebody did want to check out your clothing?
2: Uh, it's TomCridland.com.
1: C-R-I-D-L-A-N-D.com. That's com. So right. Tom. Check that out. When you go to TomCridland.com, can you also check out some of your music?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I've agonized about whether to kind of split everything up. But, I'm, you know, it's it's just me me and my girlfriend um, with four businesses, um, you know, including her agency. I mean, that's more her responsibility. And she's obviously got her team with it. But I still do bits and pieces there. But, you know, essentially TomCridland.com has my music my clothing and then my podcast and i've done 230 episodes of that so far um and i think there'll be another 10 episodes out today um now when
1: someone tells me 230 episodes because i do one show a week i'm thinking is that over the course of years or do you do like a show or two a day are you kind of a podcast junkie I
2: became one this year I became one this year yeah I we released all of those episodes this year um and we've had because I just had this bucket list of people who I wanted to um to interview so I started this series called greatest music of all time and that seemed to be a great way of getting people interested in being involved so I've interviewed people like I was talking earlier about Toto and Earth Wind and Fire but I've had um loads of my, my favorite artists on there I've had uh, Jackson 5, David Crosby, Pixies, Pointer Sisters. Um, yeah, I mean, David Johnstone from Elton John Band. It's actually,
1: yeah. it's actually kind of amazing uh, how many hookups you have in the industry and how many people you have interviewed. I, would, I found that amazing. Here's the thing. I'd be willing to bet about half of those people have struggled with alcohol and, and addiction problems as well. Yeah. Do, those, uh, do those things ever come up on the podcast when you guys are having a back and forth?
2: Well, I tend to make the podcasts completely focused on my guests and I just listen to what they have to say. And I, and actually, it's more or less been never, nearly never that I've ever brought myself, my own story, my own issues or my own music into it. I've never once said to one of these guys, by the way, I make my own music. Like, can you listen to it? I don't know. Maybe I will in future, but.
1: You should, Tom, because I think that might be a confidence thing. I think you're awesome. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get right back, we're going to talk uh, about sober Tom, because we've talked enough about uh, drunk Tom. So we'll be right back.
0: Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com.
3: In business, many leaders have a great vision, but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you ever been interested in technology or the application? Technology is always changing, and there is definitely a place for you in it. Listen for Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. Sharon and her guests teach you the skill set and present resources that help you incorporate and enhance technological know-how in your current career as well as prepare you for future success. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now back to Jesse Jameson and friends.
1: Tom, you seem like such a great guy. Um, I also love, I love your candidness when it comes to, you know, what you've been through falling down a stairs, uh, metal stairs at that, you know, in public, how oh, that is tough. Seeing yourself on video and you feel like you look like a, a homeless person. Uh, not that there's anything, you know, against homeless people, but at the same time, you don't want to come across as a homeless person when you're not homeless. So you tried stopping drinking a couple times. It didn't work. You've been sober now for three years. Can you tell us about three years ago, the first day of being sober, and and maybe how challenging that was, if it was challenging? Yeah, I
2: mean, it was pretty depressing Um, in the sense that it was after getting um, very drunk for the last time, of course, um, during the same day as um, my girlfriend Debs' father having a 60th birthday dinner in this private room in a very uh, kind of Ponzi restaurant in london it was like this really nice like michelin style restaurant we were due to meet there in the evening so i went to the pub from about 11 a.m um and then we had lunch with friends and i was boozing all through that then i was in the pub in the afternoon so when i turned up i'd never been drunk in front of Deb's parents before but i turned up absolutely steaming wearing a pair of sunglasses and uh, you know it was quickly like why are you wearing sunglasses take those off
1: <laughs> what is wait what is what does steaming mean is that where you're just you've got alcohol literally coming out of your breath and out of your skin and pores kind of or i mean are you just yeah, yeah. faced or or what Yeah, just
2: when you turn up and they can tell like god what's up with him like there's something weird about him and i was there for the entire meal just in silence um and uh they would say you know what do you think about that tom and I'd, then and I'd reply with some stupid, like really rude comment. Then the, the dessert arrived, the chocolate um, chocolate cake or something like that. And I, I remember picking it up, the whole dessert, the whole piece of cake with a fork and just like just eating it all in one mouthful. This is in front of my be- girlfriend's parents. Your future 60th, father-in-law.
1: Dinner. Your future father-in-law you're doing <laughs> yeah. this in front of right now. Let me ask you this. Your, your girlfriend, Deb's, never has had a problem with you as far as loyalty and stuff. She's there for you, but her parents probably did. Did her parents ever take her off to the side and say, Debs, you got to dump this Tom guy.
2: I don't know. I don't think so, but (laughs) they would have had every right to. I mean, maybe they did. I'm sure they've, I'm sure they thought like this guy is a, is a lunatic on more than one occasion. Um, but, uh, and, you know, in the taxi home as well, uh, Debs' cousin was there and I was really kind of bullying him to come to a karaoke bar with me, hurling this like horrible abuse at him um, for refusing to join me at a karaoke bar in front of Debs' parents. So they were pretty shocked at some of the things that I was saying to him. So anyway, the next day when I woke up, I thought I may need to uh, give the boozing a miss. And I from then I took it one day at a time, but it was like winter in the UK and I was already a bit like, not looking forward to giving up drinking. So it really was a case of, okay, we've got through another day initially. And I just resolved to cut down on socializing a little bit and also threw myself headfirst into music. That really was the saving grace. Just, I'm going to start making my own music. I'm going to start taking it seriously. And that was pretty shit as well because I was just the drunk guy who liked singing Phil Collins and Elton and all that stuff really badly. So people, you know, in my social group, wider social group were not necessarily all of them, you know, they probably just thought me taking up music is just a bit of a joke, really. You know, I like I looked like a different person and I behaved like a different person and I almost was in many ways, a different person back then. I loved music and I still loved my girlfriend and, and everything.
1: Tom, uh, do you, do you remember, do you remember Jackass here in, in the States? They were a group of guys um, and one of the guys on Jackass is named Steve-O do you, do you know who I'm, are you familiar? Yeah. 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 Okay. So familiar, I, yeah. I love Jackass. I love Johnny Nashville and all those guys. Right. But Steve O um, he quit drinking X amount of years ago. And I might be the only one in the country that feels this way, but I wanted to get your opinion on this because you're across the pond. Um, I feel like Steve O is just boring as hell now that he doesn't drink and i feel like every <laughs> i feel like every time they have him on tv and, and i think he's been sober for like the last 10 15 years but i feel like every time he's on the tv i'm always thinking why is he still famous not that i think it's cool for people to drink to become famous but honestly i just i feel like he's just kind of boring and and i i kind of wonder why he's there when yeah. you when you quit drinking did you feel like you got a little boring or Did you, were you kind of always a gregarious person, whether you were drinking or not?
2: Uh, I think some people were thinking that I was boring. I think, I, I think some people still, you know, because people my age like to party still and they have for the last couple of years. So whilst people don't, you know, I've still managed to maintain most of my friendships, but I'm sure that some, sometimes my old mates think like, you know, Oh, it's a Saturday. Like I want to have a boozy one. And they may have decided in the past, you know, to give me a call or send me a message. Um, but, you know, these days they might not want to build like their whole big Saturday night around a guy who hasn't had a drink for three years. I've got to accept that. But, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be thinking like, oh, I want to get a few beers in. who am I going to invite? Oh, yeah, that guy who hasn't had a drink for three years. So, yeah, I've got to face the fact <laughs>
1: Tom, I got to be honest, too. When I was in my 20s, we would always have a friend that didn't want to drink or whatever. So he would hold on to a beer the whole party and just babysit it. And he was completely sober. Right. And I was always that yeah. jerk that would be like, don't be such Absolutely. a puss, you know, drink a beer. Don't be such a wimp. Come on. You're at a party with us, you know. Yeah. But th- that's so bad. That's exactly
2: you- what I would have been.
1: Yeah, and it's it's horrible, but it's like I look back now and I think, well, if they're that weak, <laughs> that they're going to listen to me letting them, you know, <laughs> letting me peer pressure them. Um, so, Tom, did you have withdrawal symptoms? My uncle Jeff, who just died on November 19th, he died of alcoholism. He actually oh, ended up falling on the floor and uh, having a, what's it called, a heart attack of the brain, the stroke. And uh, he passed oh, away. Fine. Um, but he would always get sick when he stopped, Tom. Did you get sickness at all when you stopped? I know you said you didn't have hangovers, which is a sign for people to stop drinking because that means you probably have alcoholism in your family. But when you stopped, did you get sick?
2: Well, I, I only didn't have hangovers in the early days. And I definitely wouldn't have become an alcoholic in the sense of somebody who... Has whiskey for breakfast every morning and, and like, you know, never gets hangovers and just has a constant buzz on. It wasn't like that. It was more like there would be four days without drinking occasionally or a week without drinking, you know, or even long, but it's just every time I drank and it would be a lot. You know, there, there would be like over 100, 150 kind of blackout drunk sessions.
1: Now, year. Tom, that's scary as hell because, Tom, you are. I don't What if somebody took advantage of you either money-wise? Did you ever get ripped off or, or did someone ever well, steal money? I got money?
2: mugged a couple of times. Yeah. I got mugged a couple of times. I got lamped in the head with a cobblestone. Uh, Portugal in Lisbon, all the streets are made out of these little cobblestones and um, one of them was loose. Someone mugged me, got a cobblestone, lamped me in the eye. I got, I got my whole like eyebrow, like it's been stitched back up, but they didn't, they didn't stitch it back up in Portugal. They stitched it back up in England because I was so drunk in Portugal that I, that I continued drinking with the gash and then I was, I was asleep all of the next day and then we had to get a flight back to England. So I had to go on the, on, the, on the plane and I was with my brother and he said, you've got three eyebrows now, mate. <laughs> he wasn't being very sympathetic and then we had to wait all the way. So it was nearly two days later to get it stitched up again in the hospital when we got back to England. So that's, that's yeah, there were, there were some really bad and times where I was just like side so of control that I did get taken advantage of,
1: how is your health in general you are you a pretty healthy guy, and were you even healthy even when you were drinking? you don't have any uh, high cholesterol or any problems with the heart or anything?
2: I think I was headed down a pretty uh, bad path with my health. I'm not sure where where exactly it was no, no great problems, but I definitely had become overweight now, you know, as I said, you know I exercise every morning um and don't booze so I, I'm pretty healthy I'm pretty energetic I mean I was always quite energetic compared to other people you know I, I kept up like a pretty intense schedule of like partying loads and then like working really hard and never taking any time off doing either I'm not much of a Netflix and chill type of person even though I love TV shows and stuff but it'll be more a case of you know if I'm if it's a Netflix evening I'll I'll literally watch like 10 episodes of Breaking Bad in a row and get, like, obsessed with it and, you know, Google the shit out of, like, all the characters. And you
1: Hey, um, you respect some of the older stuff. Do people in the UK like Seinfeld? Uh,
2: I know Noel Gallagher from Oasis is a big fan of Seinfeld, for example, like a huge fan. I, I actually haven't watched Seinfeld yet. I've only watched Curb Your Enthusiasm. So oh,
1: then, uh, okay, if you like Curb Your Enthusiasm. I want to Seinfeld, yeah. I love Seinfeld. That was my favorite show of all time. I like all the wow, characters really and stuff. Yeah. So Tom um, sobriety, did it end up getting easier and easier? And did you, and here's the thing that I noticed you said your music was basically you just going in karaoke bars and singing Elton John and what have you. Now you're sober. You're starting to put pen to paper. You're starting to write little lyrics and jingles and full blown songs. Tell me how things got a little easier because I know things do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be three years sober.
2: Well, they, um, they've they got easier, but I've also had a habit so far um, of making them unnecessarily hard on myself. So like, I really, really wanted music to work. Uh, so, you know, I wrote and recorded 130 songs. Um, and when I say wrote and recorded, I'm talking like I saved up my own money to the point of going to like... Uh, on 30 of them, we were recording in studios like Abbey Road and The Village Recorder. Um, we went to a cheaper studio for a hundred of them, but you know, I'm talking about, I wanted to do everything like the seventies and eighties way. I, wanted to, I, want, I wrote all the songs, I uh, wrote all the lyrics um, and uh, you know, a hundred of them I wrote completely solo. And then 30 of them I wrote um, with, with my band, The Tomics, which like was what I did before um, starting my solo career. Um, and, and, you know, we're still kind of going now. Um, but so I write those songs with my mate, Nick, but then a hundred of the songs I wrote by myself and all of these songs, you know, recorded in, um, recording studios. I don't have a label, you know, I paid for all of that out of my own pocket. Then we did the tour around the U S 48 States. Um, and so I really put like my heart and soul and my, all what does that
1: cost? By the way, I, (laughs) touring 48 sounds sounds extremely expensive.
2: A shitload of money. Like, <laughs> and, you know, hey, be honest though, Tom. We work, we, we work at the same time, you know, to, to, so, so all of that music, you know, writing that level of songs, recording them all, doing all the vocals, trying to promote them, release them, playing all those shows, rehearsing. Uh, I also, I would to have a manager, so I had to book them, then doing the podcast and the clothing, um, the clothing and my girlfriend has has her business you know we need to like make the money to be able to afford it so that's like already a full time job and then we have these other full time jobs so um i didn't maybe need to do that quantity of things but i became, you know i'm quite intense so about my work so i became you know very addicted to that
1: tom i'm going to make a prediction i predict in the next 4 to 5 years everybody in the U S let alone the UK is going to know who Tom Cridlin is. That's just my crazy prediction. If it never comes true, who cares? Right. But if it does, well, if it doesn't come true, I'm sure you'll care. I want you to become big <laughs> and well-known, but I know for a fact that we have better food here in the States than you do uh, there where you are. Am I right? <laughs> did you get it? Did you get uh, t-
2: Then in the UK? Uh, probably overall. Yeah. Like, I mean, London's pretty good though. London has have a lot
1: you, of options. Have you ever tried Mexican food here in the States?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I love Mexican food. Oh yeah. I know. I love you Mexico do. as well. Oh, okay. So you've I been all Mexican around. Food. I mean, the U S has incredible, the U S has incredible, um, food. Yeah. Cause we, on the 48 state tour and before that we did 22, uh, state road trip kind of promoting the clothing. Um, so yeah, I, I love America though, you know, like, to me, I've spent a lot of time in Britain, obviously. So the idea of touring in America sounds pretty good. Um, and and you know, out of all my efforts with the music, I the the Stylistics, who are this you know the legendary soul group from Philadelphia in the '70s, um, and the Stylistics manager got in touch with me. He heard some of my music, and I'm going to go on tour with them in the UK, um, and that's 20 dates, playing like pretty big venues. Um, and, Tom, you know, Tom so that, you're that's, you're, kind
1: of you're going to be famous someday, and I don't think it's going to be because of your clothes, although that's an awesome thing. I think it's going to be because of your voice and your talent that, that God gave you. And again, that's well, just that's my amazing. prediction, but it sounds like some other people agree. And on your podcast, how did you get in contact with so many world-class musicians and stuff? Uh, I, the reason I mention that is a lot of people want to know what the key to success is. I don't think the key to success is any get rich quick you know, scheme that you can see on a YouTube video from an influencer. Tom, I think it's doing what you did, going to all 50 states, pouring your heart, money and soul into something you believe in, such as your clothing and your music. And I think the key to becoming successful is paved with a lot of or the road to being successful is paved with a lot of hard work. Do you have any yeah. advice? Do you have any advice for you know maybe people that are up and coming that do have similar goals to you about you know the the, the hard work and that it takes.
2: Yeah, I'd say don't try and take any shortcuts. I mean, part of the reason why I you know recorded so many songs in such a short amount of time and toured all those places and stuff was because you know I only took up music age like twenty eight, twenty seven. You know properly. 28 so it's like I felt like I had to make up for lost time because I hadn't learned any instruments I hadn't learned how to sing I hadn't learned I, I didn't know I could write songs so I literally went full blaze um and I you know yeah I think putting the pressure on yourself is pretty pretty um tough and maybe ill-advisable because it's not been like the last three years since getting sober have for a variety of other reasons um, been really really difficult and really intense in many ways um, so yeah I I think my main advice is, is that it doesn't happen overnight and you kind of chip away at it I don't think you wake up like one I don't think one day you just have this like amazing thing and then from then on you're successful I think maybe for some people like lottery winners or prize winners or whatever that happens but I think for majority of people it's like You just chip away at it every day and then suddenly you look back and you're like, oh, I've actually done quite a lot of stuff. Like, I'm not doing that badly. If I compare myself to five years ago, a lot's changed.
1: Tom, I think there's a lot of overnight successes that we see on TV. What we don't realize is that There is no such thing as an overnight success. They put in a ton of work to get wherever they were, everybody that's successful. I'm sure there's some people that are born into money and some people that win the lottery and what have you. But I think success, I think you really got to put in a lot of hard work. Tom, thank you so much for coming on Jesse Jameson and friends. I always ask people, can we count on you to come on again in the future and share another story with us?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure to join you, Jesse. Thanks so much for having me. Especially
1: when you become super famous, Tom. When you're super famous, I still want you to come back. So please don't ever forget about us here. But uh, no, no for... I won't. Awesome. So yeah. for everybody listening, check out tomkridlin.com. Check out Tom Cridlin's stuff on YouTube as well. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for joining us again for another episode of jesse jameson and friends we hope you had as much fun as we did be sure to tune in again next week for another great story jesse jameson and friends is heard every sunday at 2 p.m eastern time and 11 a.m pacific time jesse jameson and friends is a proud presentation of the voice america talk radio network all rights reserved